John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by the night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Righto. Uh I don't mind if he gets a bit of religion, just as long as he doesn't become one of those born-again Christians. You ever heard somebody say something along those lines? I bet you have. I bet you've either heard that in person or seen it on a movie or seen it on a cartoon. The born-again Christian, eh? They're the worst possible kind, you know. They're the sort of person, they start coming towards you and, you know, you've just got to escape. Right, they've got their set sights set on you, and you know that they're going to try and evangelise you, even though you already believe. And that's the image that we have of born again Christians. At least that's the image that most people have. But of course, there is only one kind of Christian. There's no such thing as being a Christian without being a born again Christian. Jesus said, "I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God." unless he is born again. That's the truth of the matter. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. 
And so a person might call themselves a Christian and think that they're a Christian because, hey, I grew up in Australia and, and, and Australia is a Christian country, isn't it? Well, no, it's not actually. It's a secular country. But, but people think that they were born into a country which was dominantly Christian, therefore they're Christian. Just like if they were born in Pakistan, they'd be a Muslim. But living in a Christian country, well, that doesn't make you a Christian any more than living in a shearing shed would make you a sheep. Having Christian parents and Christian grandparents, that doesn't make us a Christian either. We must be born again. So are you? Are you born again? One day a lady shared with me her story and it's actually quite a common story and it's a story that I myself have in common with her and I suspect a number of you may have a similar story. This lady, she grew up in a Christian family and she began to attend church from the time that she was a babe in arms. The faith that we, she was taught as a child over time matured, all right? So she physically matured. She grew from a baby to a little girl to a teenager to an adult. And as she physically matured, so too did her faith. Her relationship with Jesus, it just kept developing and developing until it became a mature faith and a very real faith. But for that lady... She said, I can't, I can't put my finger on one deciding moment where I decided that I'd start following Jesus because I sort of always have. Um, see, she always had this faith. She always had this belief. And somewhere along the line, it moved from, she moved from being under the umbrella of her parents' faith to having her own faith, but she couldn't tell you what day it was. And as she told me this story, I could understand this story very well, because that's my story. Um, my earliest childhood memories include praying along with the minister and giving my life to Jesus and, and, and saying, yes, you're my Lord, and meaning it. I can't put my finger on a time where I can honestly say I wasn't a Christian before that point. And some people don't get this. Uh, some people who's had a very different story and didn't grow up as in a Christian family and wandered away say, no, 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 but yeah, yeah, you might have sort of had some level, but there must have been some point in time where you made it your own faith instead of your parents' faith. So, well, maybe that did, but I can't tell you when that was. Um, and over the years, some Christians made, had made that lady feel terribly inadequate and I've had that as well, as people have sort of said, no, 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 you must have had a single point in time. Um, but for that lady, it was a gradual process. Um, and I guess the question that that lady was really asking me that day is, am I born again? Because some people would say, no, for you to be born again, there must have been one point in time when you can say, that's when I was born again. Um, but if there was no distinct dividing line between before Jesus and after Jesus, has she been born again? Now, I've heard some wonderful testimonies of what God has done in people's lives, where murderers, drug addicts, rapists, 
lives filled with hatred and bitterness are, uh, are transformed into being disciples of Jesus. Now, in those sorts of stories, it's easy to tell the point in time where that person was born again. It's where they first heard the gospel and turned their hearts over to Jesus and asked for forgiveness of their sins and they were born again. Because they were far away from God, but then they were saved. But what if a person isn't quite so far away from God? What about if they have been brought up in the Christian faith? Well, let's set some ground rules here. Just because I was born into a Christian family, does that mean that I'm automatically going to be saved? I want to see some nodding or some shakings of heads. Good, I'm seeing shakings of heads. No, it doesn't mean I'm going to be saved. Just because I was brought up in the church and I learnt the stories of Jesus and I took on the morals of a good Christian life, does that make me born again? No, it doesn't. What about if my parents brought me forward as a child to be baptised? Or let's take it one step further. What if I decided myself to get baptised? Does that make me born again? No, it doesn't. Is it possible for a person to attend church all their life, live an exemplary life, and for them not to be born again? What do you think? Is it possible? Yeah, I hope I'm not going to burst anybody's bubble, but it's not only possible, it's actually quite probable. There are a lot of people who have attended churches for their whole lives and even live pretty good lives. But they're not born again. You see, the test of whether someone is born again or not, it's not a test of having one single defining moment. Nor is it a test as to whether you've been going to church every Sunday. Nor is it a test as to whether you were baptised at some point. It's a test of the Spirit. And we learn this from this interaction that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. So who's this Nicodemus chap? Well, Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. And in general, the Pharisees, they don't get a very good rap in the Bible. Um, the Pharisees and Jesus always seem to be at loggerheads with each other which is probably why Nicodemus came in the dead of night to see Jesus. Right? He didn't want the other Pharisees to know that he'd been to see this Jesus fellow because they, they thought he was a baddie. Now, but the thing is, we get a very bad picture of the Pharisees because they're so legalistic and all this sort of thing. But when it comes to morals and keeping the law, they were pretty good fellows. They actually tried really hard to always do the right thing. Morals and the law were really big for the Pharisees. And when Nicodemus then came to see Jesus that night, he also showing that he actually had a bit of faith. He said, look, I know you're from God because of the signs and the wonders you're doing. I can see that you're from God. Right? So this is a picture we've got of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a person who tried harder than most to always do the right thing. Right? I wouldn't have a patch on Nicodemus. Secondly, he was a bloke who knew that Jesus was from God. And he respected Jesus. But was that enough for Nicodemus? No, it wasn't. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Merely doing the right thing. And even knowing who Jesus is, 
didn't make Nicodemus a Christian. Nor does it make us a Christian. Nicodemus had to be born again and so do we. So what's that about? What does it take to be born again? Nicodemus asked that question. He said, surely I can't go back into mum again. I mean, I sort of think of my mum and I go, ooh. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Now, some people would say being born of water, that represents the first birth, right? Our physical birth. So the water, they would say, is the amniotic fluid that breaks in the birthing process. Quite a messy business, really, this having giving birth. But in the Gospel of John, water plays a prominent role. The baptism of John the Baptist was a baptism in water for the repentance of sin. And, and this passage that we read today is actually bracketed by two instances of baptism in water. Right? Two. So we've been, we've been hearing about it earlier on in the, in the gospel. And then immediately following this passage is some more teaching about baptism for the repentance of sin. In the gospel of John, we cannot read the word water without linking it to baptism, which is a baptism for the repentance of sin. But water represents so much more than that. He says they must be born of water and the spirit. And in the gospel of John, water and spirit are a unified whole. Jesus has come to bring about a new kingdom. Not a kingdom which is based on law and distance from a holy God. That's the sort of kingdom that Nicodemus had been looking for, right? That's the sort of kingdom that the Pharisees were thinking about. The, the word Pharisee itself means separated ones. They would separate themselves from everything and everyone that they thought was impure because they needed to get themselves holy because that's what getting to know God was all about, right? Because God... They had to separate themselves off because God couldn't possibly be near any of this. But Jesus brought about a new kingdom principle. Jesus had a kingdom principle, not of a God who is distant, but a God who is near. Jesus had a kingdom principle of a God who actually lives within inside of us. The Holy Spirit in the life of the believer Jesus came and ushered in a new era. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Right, right from the early verses of John, that came from John chapter 1, we're learning that there's something new that Jesus is doing here. The law came through Moses, grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. There's something new here. But let's dig into this water language some more. And we skip forward to John chapter 7. Reading from verse 37. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And verse 39 says, By this he meant the Spirit. 
You see how water and the spirit go together. And that shouldn't have been a bit of, bit of a shock for Nicodemus because all of what Jesus has been talking about here, this new era of grace and being filled with the spirit, it's not something which just materialized out of the blue. This is something that God had foretold through his prophets. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. All right. So talking about the waters of, of repentance and baptism that makes us pure. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a spirit in you. Sorry, a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone Sorry, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. What's he talking about in Ezekiel? He's talking about being made pure and holy through repentance and forgiveness and then the infilling of the Holy Spirit. To be born of the water and the spirit means to enter into this new kingdom that Jesus Christ has begun. It means to lose our heart of stone and to have this new tender heart. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. If there's a, a really important theological concept for us to understand, it's this one. The flesh and the spirit are in opposition to each other. There's a war that goes on inside of us. It goes on inside of you and it goes on inside of me. Now, when the Bible talks about the flesh, it's, it's not just talking about the human body. It's not talking about muscles and, and sinew and meat and bones it's not talking about that what it's talking about is the natural human sinful inclination it's talking about our natural desires of the human heart that are in opposition to the spirit you know a lot of people think oh little babies they're born really good and then they learn to be bad but the bible tells us no it's the other way round. we're born bad we're born with these sinful inclinations. And it's only through the work of the Spirit that we take on good values. There's only one way for us to be rescued from our captivity of the flesh. And that's through the blood of Jesus. And he's filling me up with the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter how many years any of us have gone to church on a Sunday. We can still be captive to the flesh. A person could even be a leader in a church. They could be an elder. They could be a Sunday school teacher. They could even be the pastor of a church and still be captive to the flesh. And it's really important that we understand that this war, the war that goes on between the flesh and the spirit, is not a war that ends as soon as we become a Christian. It continues on. I continue to have daily battles with the flesh as I am tempted to do things according to my natural, sinful, human inclination. Who's doing that battle? The Spirit of God is battling 
spirit of the flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You know, I can try and try and try by my own goodness to be the very best that I can be. Would that be a work of the flesh or the work of the spirit? It's actually a work of the flesh. That's what the Pharisees were trying to do. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Um, In Isaiah chapter 64, it says, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Now, I hear that verse quoted a lot. Now, does that mean that God doesn't like righteous acts? No, that's not at all what it means. God loves righteousness. But what we need to learn is that without Christ and without being born again, even the very best that we can do, our very best righteous acts, they're not good enough. I can do the most wonderful thing that I can possibly muster up to do and go, here, God, look at this. And it's like I'm giving him a dirty nappy because it's just not good enough. Even if I manage to excel in a particular area, what's my heart doing? My heart's being a heart of pride. And what about all of the other areas that I've failed in? The only way to be born again is through the Spirit. Can we make that happen? How the Spirit and when the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit is not a time that we can tell. There's a real play on words happening here that we miss in the English because in the Greek the word for spirit is the same as the word for wind. Pneuma from which we get our word pneumatic, pneumatic tires, pneumatic tools powered by wind. The wind blows wherever it pleases. The pneuma blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Pneuma. Same word. Now, I don't know if you realise it or not. You probably do by now that God isn't tied down to expectations. We like to plan things and we expect God to turn up. Um, But something I've discovered is God doesn't ask me before he acts. And God starts doing stuff and then I discover he's doing it and I've got to try and catch up with what he's doing. Why do some people who have been brought up in the church brought up by Christian parents. Why do some people have this transition to being born again and having the spirit within them, but others don't? I, I think of some friends of mine, as well as at Ag College at Dolby, that a friend of mine who I'd grown up in the church with, we were actually having a bit of a God conversation. And it broke my heart. When he said, I would have been probably about 16 at the time. But it broke my heart when my friend said to me, who I'd grown up with, we'd gone to Sunday school together, we'd gone to youth group together, and now we're away at Ag College together. And he said to me, yeah, I'm only a Christian because I was born in Australia. If I was born over in Arabia somewhere, I'd, I'd be a Muslim. And we 
I explored that with him. I realized he wasn't born again. He didn't, he didn't have a real faith in Jesus where he would forsake all else. Why would that happen? Why was God good to me and not to him? How can someone go through all of the same programs, sit through all of the same church services, uh, turn up at church every Sunday, and to them it continues to just be a work of the flesh and the spirit isn't inside of them? And likewise, why is it that someone's own experience of having a sudden conversion leads them to expect that everybody else has to have that same experience? See, the thing is, nobody knows when God is going to do his work. We can't tell where the wind blows, can we? Just yesterday, we were doing some targets at the Pistol Club, and you'd sort of go around a corner because you think, we're out of the wind here, and you start trying to glue them down, and, and the wind just changes direction. You, you don't know where the wind's coming from. It just swirls about. And we can't predict how or when God is going to touch someone's life. We can't set up a certain program and say, right, well, we're going to, at this church service this day, there's a few people that we need to, that I don't think they've given their lives to the Lord yet. So we're going to have a really good evangelistic music uh, message. We're going to have a couple of really moving and emotional songs. And what's going to happen, and we're going to pray for these people, and today's the day that they're going to come to faith in Jesus. We can't do that. We can try. But we don't know when the Spirit's going to move. That's not our domain. How God and when God chooses to bring people to him is God's business. What we have to do is recognise when God is at work and get on board with what God is doing. And I pray that God might be doing his work here today. So we're still in the very early stages of our messages, of our series on the Gospel of Mark. And I'm the sort of person, I, I, what I'm doing today is right out of character. Usually when I start a series, we keep at that series and we just keep working our way through until we're done, until we're finished. Why are we in the Gospel of John today? Well, we had a, I did a church service at Warrawee, the old folks' home, um, on during the week. And Celie Brosnan rang me beforehand and she said, oh, are, you, are you still coming to do Warrawee? I said, yes, I am. And she asked me, she said, I've started doing a Bible study with the folks out here and we're actually up to John. We've been doing it on the Gospel of John and we're up to John chapter 3. Would you be able to give a message on John chapter 3? I said, sure. So I did it. But after I finished preparing that message, I really felt God saying, you have to give that same message at church on Sunday. And so here we are. We're leaving the Gospel of Mark until next week. Now, did God specifically want this message preached today? I don't know. But I pray that the Spirit of God is going to move in somebody's life through this message. I pray that there might even be somebody here today who isn't yet born again, who will be born again by the end of today. 
We're doing this message here, doing this message again out at Begonia. It's being recorded. It'll be going out on the video and audio. Who knows what God will do? So let's come back to the original question. Am I born again? If it's not a question of, of having, sorry, if it's not a test of having had a sudden defining moment experience, what is the evidence of being born again? It's this. Is my life controlled by the flesh or is my life being controlled by the Spirit of God? Now, I'm not asking if we still continue to have daily battles between the spiritual nature and the fleshly nature. That's, that's a given. We're always going to have those. I'm asking if you have yielded yourself to God. I said earlier that the only way to be set free from the captivity of the flesh is through the blood of Jesus and his filling us up with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where we personally repent of our sin. We yield ourselves to God. And this is important bit. We allow him to take control of our lives. Romans chapter 8 puts it like this. says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, now he's talking to people who are born again. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Now, this is really important. Are you born again? Have you yielded yourself to God and are therefore controlled by the Spirit? Or do you continue to put the barrier up, barrier up and, and refuse to submit to the Lord and are therefore controlled by the flesh? Right? Now, there's a couple of extremes. Some people think that being a Christian is all about being a good person. No, it is not. Neither you nor I could ever be good enough to be saved. Some people take it to the opposite end and they say, well, all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you'll be a Christian. No, even the devil believes in Jesus. Robin and I... We just got back from holidays and while we were away, we spent a night with Robin's aunt and uncle in Tumut. And Uncle Ron, he's been a preacher and mainly an evangelist to children for many, many years. He runs camps, kids camps and day, day camps and, and kids clubs all over the place. He actually um, 
when I grew up in Gundawindi, he actually came to Gundawindi for a while. And I remember this bloke who turns up with a ventriloquist puppet. And that was his thing. He had a big impact on me in my life many years before I met Robin. Anyway, we were talking about what it means for Jesus to be Lord. And he told me that he just very simply explains it to the children like this. It's to make Jesus your boss. Isn't that a simple explanation? What's it mean for Jesus to be Lord? It's to make Jesus your boss. I guess I would put it this way. To, for Jesus to be Lord means to give yourself to Jesus. Now that's very different to the message that gets preached a fair bit today. Um, even, within in, even, even within evangelical circles, of which we are an evangelical church, um, it's become quite common to, to present the gospel message as receive Jesus. Receive Jesus and you're saved. And you know, a lot of people accept this. They go, well, I've just got to add a bit of Jesus to my life and I'm saved. But the biblical concept of being saved is not about adding a little bit of Jesus to your life. It's about being born again. It's about putting your old life to death and being raised to a new life in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. It's to recognise that my old life is so perverted, it is so broken, it is so evil, I'm going to do away with my old life. I don't want anything to do with my old life. Because I need Jesus. And I need to be born again. The biblical concept of being saved has no such easy believism. As far as I can find, there is only one place in the whole of the New Testament where it mentions receiving Jesus as the way to be saved. And there, it specifically talks about receiving Jesus as Lord. And to receive Jesus as Lord, it's actually talking more about us giving ourselves to Jesus. To be born again means we give ourselves to God and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It means to be born through the waters of repentance and baptism into a life where we are controlled by the Spirit and there we receive life and peace. Are you born again? Don't leave here today until you know that you are. There is nothing more important than knowing that you are born again. Is your life evidenced by the rule and reign of the Spirit of God where Jesus is truly your Lord? Or have you just been trying to tack a bit of Jesus onto your life? And if you want to be sure that you're born again, talk to me before you go. This is really important. And we'll pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, what a blessing it is 
that you love us so much that you sent your one and only son to die so that you could restore us to yourself. Lord, we just pray that you would help us to be honest with ourselves. You've told us that the Spirit blows where it pleases. We can't control you. We can't control who's saved when. But Lord, we do pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this group of people today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move across this town and this district. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move as people listen to this very message. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us a hunger to be truly born again. Lord, we... We pray for a very real experience of this being born again. Lord, if there be anyone here who's just tried to add a little bit of Jesus to their life and isn't yet born again, Lord, I pray that your spirit would touch them, that they would actually feel you calling their name. And we give opportunity now people to give their hearts to Jesus we say God I give my life to you I'm, I give up trying to do it my own way I repent of my sin I repent of my past life Lord I ask for forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. That we would be born of water and the Spirit. And Lord, I pray that as we go on from this point on as disciples of Jesus that we would live the lives of a people who are indeed born again. And Lord, we want to thank you for this new life that you give us. What a privilege and what a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.